right, we are looking at uh, 1 Kings this morning, chapter 19, looking at the story, a little bit of the story of Elijah. I know it's some people's favorite story in here. Uh, and we're really trying to dig into or kind of get two, uh, two nuggets out of this today as we look at this. 1 Kings chapter 19, looking at those 18 verses, trying to look at two things. The danger of expectations and the power of God's grace. The, hope, the thing we hope to get out of this this morning as we look at Elijah's story is the danger of your expectations and the power of God's grace. So as you're getting there, there's a uh, psychological term. Uh, they call it the Stockdale Paradox. The Stockdale Paradox is named after Admiral James Stockdale. Now this guy was an was a, was a admiral in the military, and he was uh, a prisoner of war from 1965 to 1973 in the Hanoi Hilton, as it was called in Vietnam, uh, which is not a very good place to be. It's not a very fun place to be, uh, and, and we can only imagine how awful it was at certain times for those that were in, in that uh, prisoner of war camp. Things were not good, to say the least. Uh, and he made it that long, from 65 to 73, was finally released and made it out and he's, and, and he's written books since then and, you know, interviews and things like that. And they asked him, how did you make it through that? And who made it through that? Who had the hardest time making it through that? And he said, that's easy. That's an easy question to answer. Who had it, the hardest time making it through this? Or who didn't make it through this, so to speak? He said it was the optimists. The optimists didn't make it through how hard it was to be a prisoner of war in the Hanoi Hilton. He said, by optimists, I mean the ones that said, well, we'll be out of here by Christmas. And then Christmas would come and go. And they'd say, well, we'll be out of here by Easter. And then Christ Easter would come and go. And then we'll be out of here by Thanksgiving. And then Thanksgiving would come and go. And then Christmas was again. And Easter was again. Thanksgiving was again. And they kept saying, well, we'll be out of here by that point. And that point would come and go. And they wouldn't be released. And those people would eventually, honestly, just not make it from a broken heart. And his point was... Not that it, you shouldn't have a, an optimistic view of, of the end game, but his point was that if you have this unrealistic view of the end game, then you don't confront the reality that is in front of you. And so instead of just saying, well, we'll be out of here by a certain point, he started making a plan. Here's how I'm going to mentally, physically survive the environment I'm in. I'm going to confront reality knowing that I will prevail in the end whenever the end happens to be. It's kind of an, it's kind of an example of, of faith. And as we, as we dig into Elijah's story this morning, keep that kind of in the back of your mind and let that kind of maybe make a few connections to what we're looking at. So where we're about to pick it up, here's what's happened right before we are picking up Elijah's story in 1 Kings. So Elijah comes onto the pages of history in chapter 17. Never been mentioned before, and then all of a sudden, bam, here comes this guy, Elijah. And, uh, and he, he has quite the work to do. Uh, now, remember, where we're at here, this is about uh, middle 800s B.C. Uh, we're talking about the divided kingdom. This is the period of, of time that we're in, the divided kingdom. So we had Israel becomes a kingdom a little before 1,000 B.C., and we have three kings, right? We have Saul, man's choice that didn't do it very well. We had David, God's choice, who did it well but messed up. And then we had Solomon come along, his son, David's son, after him. And there was a, a great golden age of Israel during Solomon's reign. But Solomon messed up too. 
And because of his sin, because of David's sin, because of Solomon's sin, Israel is, becomes a divided kingdom. Sol, two of Solomon's different sons split the kingdom. The kingdom in the north, there's 12 tribes of Israel. If you're looking at it on, on a map, the, 12, the 10 tribes in the north, being more tribes, continue with the name Israel for some time. And the two tribes in the south, Judah and Benjamin, Judah being the much larger tribe of the two, continue on by the name Judah. And that's where the Old Testament can get very confusing because during that period, depending on what book you're looking at, when it says Israel, it may just be talking about the ten tribes of the north. And when it says Judah, it's talking about the two tribes of the south. Israel's not always Israel in the Old Testament, and that can be a very confusing thing. So it helps to know what you're looking at and the context in which you're looking at it. So that's where we're at with Elijah. We've, we've now gone down a few kings. We're to the, to, the, uh, to the eighth king, the eighth king of the northern kingdom. His name is Ahab. Now, here's the description you don't want of you. Okay? There's 19 kings in the total time that the northern kingdom of Israel exists, just the 10 tribes. 19 kings they have. Not one single one of them is called a good king in God's word. And here's the description of Ahab. Ahab was the worst of all those kings. It says no one was more evil than Ahab. The seven kings before him don't even compare to how evil Ahab was. Now, part of that is because of who Ahab marries. He marries Jezebel, which is a term we still use in English to describe a woman that's not the kind of woman you really want in your life. If, you, if you're called an old Jezebel, that's not a compliment. <laughs> and Jezebel is, probably takes Ahab's evil to, a, to another level. And she is a worshiper of Baal, the pagan god Baal. Baal is the god of fertility and the lord of the storms or the lord of the rain for the pagan uh, for the pagan nations around Israel okay so keep that in mind he is the lord of the rain that is that is not an insignificant fact so she is a worshiper of Baal and she is trying to kill all the prophets of Israel all the prophets of God and 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 reinstate or, or put into place more prophets of Baal all across Israel as their uh, ruling over the ten tribes of the north, of the northern kingdom. All that's taking place, has taken place, and that's when Elijah comes on the scene. And he goes up to Ahab as a prophet of God and says, buddy, what you're doing ain't right. You're causing Israel to sin. You turned your back on the God of Israel, and God's going to bring judgment on you for that. Well, it's not a very popular thing to say to a king. And he tells him in chapter 18 that it will not rain in our kingdom until I say it will rain, until, the, until God tells me that it's going to rain and then I will tell you that it's going to rain. It will no longer rain in our kingdom for years. It doesn't say how long, it just says for years. For the next years, it's not going to rain, which is a direct insult to the Lord of the rain. He's saying, my God is the God of the rain, the one true God, and your pagan Baal God calls himself the Lord of the rain. You call him the Lord of the rain, but he can't do anything. So now, for three and a half years, it doesn't rain. It does not rain in the northern kingdom of Israel, which is a bad thing now. It's a really bad thing back then in an agricultural society that, that, that depends on the rains. The, and it says the brooks and the ravines dry up, and they're considering uh, slaughtering all their animals because they don't have enough food to, 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 to feed them, and it is a rough, bad time. During this three and a half years, Elijah, as far as Ahab and Jezebel are concerned, is public enemy number one, and God hides him 
two different places. It's a crazy story. Read it. It's unbelievable. He's fed by the ravens in the brook, and the brook dries up, and then God takes him to, the, to, a, uh, to a, uh, a widow, and the widow takes care of him, and somehow, miraculously, there's oil uh, and, and flour for them to have bread for, for quite some time, and then her son dies, and he brings him back to life. It's unbelievable, everything that happens in those three and a half years. And then, in chapter 19, where we're about to pick it up, God says, all right, it's time. I'm about to bring the rain. It's time for you to go back to Ahab and let him know what the word of the Lord is. That's where we're picking it up after all that has taken place in chapter 19 of 1 Kings. If you'll read along with me. Uh, Ahab told Jezebel, oh, excuse me, I skipped the most important part of the story. Dusty, I'm I'm surprised you didn't say something to me. It's one of Dusty's favorite stories in all of Scripture. (laughs) So Elijah goes and confronts Ahab and says, it's about to rain. God told me it's about to rain, but before that, we're going to have a little showdown. And he tells all of Israel, choose who you're going to serve. If it's Baal, then let it be Baal. And if it's God, the real God, the God of Israel, then let it be the God of Israel. And most of us know this story. If you've been in Sunday school for five seconds, you've heard the story on Mount Carmel where they, the prophets of Baal build an altar to, to Baal, and, and they dance, and they cut themselves, and they do all this crazy stuff, and nothing, absolutely nothing happens to the sacrifice that they are uh, offering to Baal. Nothing happens. And then my favorite part of the entire story is when Elijah mocks them when their God isn't doing anything. He says, well, maybe he's asleep. Maybe he's on vacation. Maybe you should holler a little bit louder and you'll wake him up. I love that part. Just, it just speaks right to my sarcastic soul. But <laughs> and then Elijah, of course, goes to the nth degree to prove that what's taking place is from God. Covers it with water, all this stuff, and then boom, fire on the mountain, right? Eat totally consumes the offering offered by God. And then Elijah has all the prophets, 450 prophets of Baal, rounded up and slain in the valley. Gone. Executed. See you later, sayonara. Now Jezebel's really mad. That's where we're picking it up. (laughs) Can't believe I almost forgot that. That's crazy. So, Ahab told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done about that, the 450 prophets and the, and the sacrifices and all of that. Everything he had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, May the gods punish me, little g-gods, punish me and do so severely if I don't make your life like the one life of one of them by this time tomorrow. In other words, I'm going to kill you like you killed my prophets. Then Elijah became afraid became afraid, and immediately ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba, that belonged to Judah, he left his servant there, but he went on a day's journey into the wilderness. He sat down under a broom tree, or yours may say a juniper tree, same thing, and prayed that he might die. He said, I have had enough, Lord. Take my life, for I'm no better than my father's. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. Wow. Elijah has sent a message that Jezebel's going to kill him. Now, she's been trying to kill him for three and a half years. But she says at this time, and Elijah responds with fear. He's scared. He runs away and hides. He literally goes as far away in the nation of Israel that he possibly can if you look at where Jezreel was, just, just a little bit south of Dan, Dan is the northernmost ter- uh, tribal territory in Israel, he runs to 
all the way through the ten tribes to the, to the nation of Israel, of the top, and then goes down to the southern kingdom and goes to the bottom of it. Beersheba is the absolute southernmost point of the nation of Israel. He runs as far away from Jezreel as he can, gets to Beersheba, leaves his servant, and then goes another day into the wilderness outside of the territory of Israel by himself. He, he's, he's trying to get as far away from this woman as he possibly can and her husband. It's crazy to us, right? We read that story, I've read that story so many times, and it just seems inexplicable. How can a guy that says it's not going to rain, I prayed to God for it not to rain, to, to discredit this fake God, Baal, Lord of the storms, Lord of the rain. I prayed to God for it not to rain. It doesn't rain for three and a half years. God tells him it's going to rain again, and then this big spectacle on the mountain, and their, their God does nothing, and his real God does everything and consumes this and he slays all these how can that guy go through all of that see this miraculous miracle work of God and then she sends a messenger that says I'm going to kill you and then suddenly he's scared after going through all of that he's fearful he <laughs> he is depressed to the point of death have you ever been there I bet a few of us have I bet a few of us have been to the point in our life where you just say, you know, God, <laughs> I wish you'd just call me on home. I've had all I can take. I can't bear the weight of this anymore. I don't want to bear the weight of this anymore. Just call me home. That's enough. I've done enough. And we say, how in the world is that possible? Well, I think it's because we read this, and we think it's happened as fast as we've read it, and we don't think about, stop and think about what those three and a half years took out of him, took out of Elijah. I mean, he was on the run for three and a half years. He's emotionally, physically, spiritually exhausted. He's living in a nation that's worshiping a God that he says is fake, a God that he says is not real. He says, turn to the, to repent and turn to this real God, our God, the God of our ancestors. Wasn't a very well-received message. It's difficult to continuously preach a message of truth and it fall on deaf ears over and over and over. It's hard to do that. And Elijah, he's just, he's just out of the end of his rope. So we read that and we go, I thought he was Superman. Why is he scared now? Why does he run away now? It's obvious why. He's exhausted. <laughs> he's, he's had all he can take. He is tired of the fight. And the kicker is, he thought, he expected God to be finished once Mount Carmel took place. That's the kicker. That's the finisher offer. For Elijah. He's done all of this. He's waited for three and a half years. He's, he's hid and allowed God to provide for him. He's waited on God. And then God finally says, it's going to rain. And we're going to take him out. And then immediately after that, he's expecting, well, surely this will turn Jezebel around. Surely this will turn Ahab around. 
Surely the people of Israel will finally turn back to God and worship God. Surely all of this effort that we have put in for three and a half years that I have exhausted myself over and over and over and over. I've been on the brink of death. Over and for three and a half, all this, finally we're going to do this big miraculous thing. And finally it's going to be done. It's going to be over. He's expecting it all to culminate with God flipping a switch and it being fixed. It's the danger of expectations. The danger of expecting a certain outcome is this. You are not God. You're, you're not God. Elijah was very close to God and had done some miraculous things to God. And he had the attitude of, well, I've, done, I've endured all of this. Surely I'm going to see the payoff now. Surely it's going to happen. Surely God's plan is after Mount Carmel, then we're done with this Jezebel mess, and God's going to fix it, and we're going to start worshiping again. We're going to stop being a pagan nation. Surely that's what's going to happen. That's what his expect, expectation is. But if you think you're in control of the outcome, you're fooling yourself. You're not in control of the outcome. You are not in control of the outcome. We are responsible for the input, not the outcome. You and I are responsible for what we input into the situation, but God takes care of the outcome. And here's the thing. Here's the thing, church, Christian, Jesus follower. Here's the thing. Be thankful for that. Be thankful that you're not in control of the outcome because I'm pretty sure that God's better at being God than we are at pretending or faking like we are God. So, as we continue in this story, that's, that's where Elijah's mind, his heart, his soul, he is weary to his bones. He has had all he can take, and he's ran as far away as he possibly can, gone off. Cool. That was awesome. If that would have done that when we were talking about Mount Carmel, I mean, that would have just, that would have, <laughs> y'all would have been scared. <laughs> And he's gone as far as he can. He's by himself now. Dangerous place to be when you're exhausted. Right? He leaves his servant. Why? We could speculate on that to the end of time. A lot of reasons why he may have. But the thing is, he left his servant. He is now in the wilderness and goes a full day, and that's it. It's all he's got. Be careful of being in isolation when you're in the setting that Elijah's in. When you're in the mindset, the heart place, when you're exhausted and done and weary and can't go anymore, be careful being by yourself. But sometimes it's the best place to be. And so we're into the wilderness today, and we'll pick it right back up here. First Kings, continuing in chapter five, suddenly, or verse five. Suddenly an angel touched him. He's gone to the wilderness today. The angel touched him and told him, Get up and eat. Then he looked, and there at his head was a loaf of bread baked over hot stones and a jug of water. The miracles for Elijah continue. So he ate and drank. And lay down again. That's how tired he is. He got up, saw an angel, ate the bread, drank the water provided by the angel, and then went back to sleep. That's tired. Then the angel of the Lord returned for a second time. How long did he rest? We don't know. I would say probably a significant amount of time. And touched him. He said, get up and eat. Catch this. Or the journey will be too much for you. God knows what he's calling Elijah to do. He's going to give him what he needs to do it. it. Says there, so he got up and ate and drank, 
then on the strength from that food, on what God had provided, because of God's grace, you could, trans- you could say it all those ways, because of God's grace, he walked 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. He entered a cave there and spent the night. He's ran down to the southern tip of Judah, several day journey, and has gone a day into the wilderness by himself. He's trying to do it on his own. He's scared to death. He's worn out. He's trying to do it his way. He can make it a day on his own strength. And then he collapses and asks God for death. And then God's grace shows up. Amen. Every time, right on time, God's grace shows up. God the provider, right? Jehovah Jireh. God the provider, he shows up and he gives him exactly what he needs. Exactly what he needs to do, what he's called him to do, what he's going to use him to do for his glory and for his will and for his completion of his plan. And strengthened by God, he now goes 40 days and nights into the wilderness, to the mountain of God, to Horeb. Same mountain that Moses goes to. Same mountain where the law is given to Moses. Don't miss the significance of where God takes Elijah in this journey. It's called Mount Sinai, the mountain of God, or Horeb. It's the same thing. It's the same place. Don't miss that. What are we saying? What are are we saying in these few verses here? What's God saying? Trust. Absolutely trust the grace of Jehovah Jireh. He'll show up, and he'll give you what you need, more than what you need, and will make it possible for you to accomplish whatever it is he's placed on your heart for you to accomplish. Whatever he has made you, formed you out of the dust for you to become. His grace will, will provide what, it, what you need. And so he travels down to this cave and makes it to the mountain of God. Horeb. He's been in the cave for a night. And then God shows up. So we're picking back up here. Verse 9. Then the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of, God of hosts, but the Israelites have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets and, or excuse me, with the sword, and I am all alone. I alone am left. And they're looking for me to take my life. God wants Elijah to answer him. He asks him a question. He says, What are you doing here? I've called you down here, but, but, but what are you doing here, Elijah? What brought you here? He wants Elijah to tell him the truth. Does, a, does Elijah tell him the truth? Not really. That's not really the truth. What are you doing here, Elijah? He says, blows it out of proportion. He embellishes. He lies, be another way to say it. Blows everything out of proportion. Hey, God, they're, they're, they're killing the prophets, and, and it's all it's horrible, and everything's, and I'm the only person left in Israel that's still worshiping you. I'm the only one left that still loves you, and now they're coming to try me. In other words, God, I had to save myself for you. I'm the only one left that's worshiping. If I died, then all the worshipers of you are gone, God, so I had to run. I'm trying to help you. What would have been the truth? The truth would have been, I'm devastated, God. Elijah, what are you doing here? God, I'm devastated. 
three and a half years. Three and a half years of waiting. Put my life on the line the entire time. We destroy the prophets of Baal. We perform this miraculous work. God, I thought surely that would be it. I thought that would be all I'd have to do. God, I'm tired. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm worn out. That would have been the truth. That's not what he said. Instead of that, he's faking it. You ever faked it? You ever come in here and fake it? Don't lie, it's thunder and lightning outside, you hear that? Uh-huh. You've come in here and faked it before, and so have I. And so has every other church-going Christian in the world. We fake it. But we don't have to fake it. God's grace is enough. God's done enough. God's going to show up. He's going to be there. You don't have to fake it. You don't have to pretend to have it all together. You don't have to pretend to be perfect. The entire point, the entire point of all of God's word is that you and I can't do it. The whole point is he can. And he did. Jesus did do it. Everything that we need. We don't have to fake it. But Elijah's faking it. He says, God... I'm the only one left. We've got to be real, Christian. We've got to be sincere. Be, be real about your sin. Be real about how tired you are sometimes. Be real about what you're going through with each other. Now, I'm not saying walk around and tell everybody everything that's going on in your life. Don't be a fool. I'm not asking you to be foolish. I'm asking you to be real. Have people in your life, in this setting, hopefully, that you can truly be honest with. And more importantly than that, when you're talking to the Father, don't kid yourself. He knows already anyway. He just wants you to tell him the truth. If you tell him the truth, your relationship's liable to grow and get stronger, liable to get better. But it's not what he does. He doesn't say, God, it's just, it's just too much. He doesn't say that. He says, God, I'm trying to do everything I can to save myself because I need to for you. What does God do? Scolds him, right? I mean, he just rips him up one side and down the other. <laughs> of course not. He speaks to him, though, and he gets his attention. He gets his attention. He goes on there. He says, then he said, go out, stand on the mountain in the Lord's presence. This is the video we watched going into the sermon. And that moment, at that moment, the Lord passed by. A great and mighty wind was tearing at the mountains and was shattering cliffs before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire, there was a voice, a soft whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and finally, probably, went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to Elijah and said the same question. What are, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here, Elijah? The God that controls the wind, controls the earthquakes, controls the fire, 
Sure, he can speak through that. He can speak through all those things. Sometimes he does. He's just previously done it a couple of months before this, right, with Elijah. He spoke through the fire. He couldn't have spoken any louder or any clearer through the fire. Sometimes he speaks through the big, miraculous events. Sometimes he speaks through the big, difficult events. But sometimes he doesn't. I would say more times than not, he draws us close, speaks in a gentle voice, because he's father, he's comforter, he wants you close to him. It's like, it's like when you lay in there at night in the bed and you roll over and you wrap your arms around your wife, you get your lips close to her ear, and you say, you're my favorite. If you've never done that, I would highly recommend it. If not those words, something else. But is there anything closer, sweeter, more intimate than a relationship where you're just so close that you can just, just whisper to each other? <laughs> it's good. It's good. And the Lord goes on to speak to him. Elijah gives him the exact same excuse again, even after this. God, I'm the only one left. God goes on to speak in 15. Then the Lord said to him, go and return by the way you came to the wilderness of Damascus. At that point, I've been like, this is some junk. 40 days and 40 nights, and I'm going to go right back to the same place? I'd have been mad. But he doesn't do that. When you arrive, <laughs> you are to anoint Haziel as king over Aram, and you are to anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And Elijah, son of Shaphat, from Abel Mahalah as prophet in your place, he says. Verse 17, then Jehu will put to death whoever escapes the sword of Haziel, and Elijah will put to death whoever escapes the sword of Jehu. Check it, verse 18, but I will leave 7,000 people, 7,000 in Israel. Every knee that has not bowed to Baal, every mouth that has not kissed him. He says, Elijah, <laughs> you're not alone. Your three and a half years of labor was not in vain. 7,000 people. They heard. They're listening. 7,000 people. God, I'm not, Elijah, I'm not going to let Ahab get away with this. And, and Jezebel, it's the next people's job to take care of them. And they're going to take care of them. All of them. It's not your job. In other words, <laughs> in other words, Elijah, you aren't replaceable, buddy. You're, you're, you're not irreplaceable. I can do it with you. I can do it with Elijah. I can do it with whoever I want, whenever I want, because I'm God. And we get that mentality sometimes, like, you know, i got to do what God's called me to do, you know, or God can't do it. Yeah, he can. I remember whenever I was, the youth has heard this more than once, but I remember whenever I was in that limbo stage of, God, are you really calling me into full-time ministry? That's crazy. God, I like teaching and coaching. I don't want to leave that, so I'm trying to be really sure that's what you want me to do. I don't really get this, you know. And you start getting this mentality of, God, I, I'm not sure that high school can survive without me. I mean, you know. 
We had kids pass the AP test for the first time ever. Just saying, God. <laughs> and it was a servant of God that looked me dead in my eyes and said, you need to make up your mind. Because whether you come here or you stay there, it doesn't matter. If you come here, God will bring somebody in that school. And if you stay there, God will bring somebody in this church. Either way, God will get it accomplished. In other words, stop kidding yourself like you're the only one that can make this happen. And that's what God tells Elijah. He says, first of all, yeah, I'm bringing judgment, and they deserve it, and it's coming. And second of all, Elijah's going to come in behind you, and he's going to do twice as much as you do, Elijah, because it's about me, God. It's about my grace. It's awesome. We need to remember that. So if you want to sum it up, you can sum it up in one statement as far as God's grace goes. God's grace means you don't have to fake it. You don't have to fake it. You shouldn't fake it, Christian. Every time that we are insincere about what God has called us to do, what's going on in our lives, the mistakes we have made, everything God has, has forgiven us for, every time we are insincere about that, all we're doing is making it about us. It's pride. We're trying to make ourselves more important than we are instead of elevating God to the status that he deserves. He deserves the credit for your, the forgiveness of your sins. He deserves the credit for any transformation that has happened in your life. Anything that has happened in your life for the good is because God and God alone made it possible for that to take place. And every time that that takes place and we point it to God, he's glorified. People are drawn to him. People want that God People don't want the God of the fake Christian that shows up to church but never does anything for God and pretends like they're perfect and acts like they have it all together. Nobody wants any part of that God because that God does not exist. It's a fake God, just as fake as Baal. The God of forgiveness of sins, the God of love, the God of grace, the God of mercy, the God Jehovah Jireh, provider, he's a real God. And that's the God we ought to be glorifying with our lives through our wins and most importantly, through our losses as well. It's about God's grace. Grace, grace, God's grace. <laughs> grace that will pardon and cleanse within. You like that song? I love that song. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin. Amen. Ultimate grace, ultimate grace, it's found in Jesus. God's already given us what we need for eternity. We just got to keep trusting in it. No matter how long, whether it's three and a half years or three and a half millennia, he's eventually going to be here his grace will provide you and I don't have to fake it and pretend like we got it all together I'm going to pray for us we'll finish up in song if you have any business that needs to be dealt with if you want to pray to God during this song come down here and pray you don't have to but man I, it makes a difference I think when we physically express what we're feeling on the inside Expression of submission. <laughs> if you need to do that, you can. If you need to talk to me, I'll be here.
you want to just stand up and worship God through this song, then you're welcome to do that as well. God, we come to you and we thank you that your grace is enough. God, we thank you for the examples of just regular people, God. Not superhumans, not marble characters, not bigger than life fake people, real people like Elijah that did these miraculous things, God, but ultimately they just, he just wore out. And even when he wore out and ran and tried to get away from you, God, there you were too. There you showed up, gave him exactly what he needed, told him exactly what he needed to hear with grace, with truth, spoke into him. And, and, your, and your plan continued because of your grace through Elijah, through Elisha, all the way on down to Mary and Joseph, to Jesus, to the perfect sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins. You're an amazing God, Lord, and I'm sorry that, that I lose sight of that sometimes, that we lose sight of that as a, as a church, that we just get bogged down in the, in the day-to-day. We forget to just stop and praise you for how awesome and mighty that you are. Lord, speak into our hearts. Draw us close to you, God, so that we can have a conversation in, in whisper, that we don't have to have the big, fancy, fire, loud, earthquake-speaking God that we, that we desire to be close to you, God. Speak to us. Draw us close into there so we hear you. Lord, and give us the, the strength to obey to follow through in faith what it is you're calling us to do, whatever that is, individually and corporately, together, Lord.